to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the nine fruit of the Spirit that Paul described for us in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And we've been taking time this summer to look at each of these fruit. Because our goal is to live an amazing life. Not amazing by this world standard, not something that's going to get written up in the newspaper, not something that is going to receive uh, achievements and awards, but an amazing life in the eyes of God. A life that, as we just sang, is about being a servant. Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, let me lift up those who are weak. The more we develop these nine fruit of the Spirit, the greater our service to the Lord will be. And this morning, I want to look at 
two of them together, kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness. Now, earlier in the week, um, Raph was in my office, and I, we were kind of talking through this a little bit. And I said, I don't even really feel like I should have to talk about these two. I mean, after all, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, shouldn't kindness and goodness just kind of be part of the package? <laughs> I mean, isn't that something that just we all understand? If I'm a Christian, I should be kind and good? Do you really need me to stand up here and tell you that? But yet, then I look at the world in which we live and the way our culture has changed, and I go, you know, kindness and goodness are not necessarily in great supply. There's a lot of unkindness in this world. There's a lot of bad in this world. So maybe we do need to be reminded that those things are important. And I want to talk about them as, as the way Jesus did. Jesus took kindness and goodness to a new level, as he often did. He said, you know, this is the way you've always thought. This is what I think. This is what the law says to you. This is what I want, if you're following me. And, and he does that with kindness and goodness. He raises the bar so that what we're really talking about is compassion and generosity. Compassion and generosity. And I'm not talking about being generous just with your money. I'm talking about a generosity of spirit. Of being willing to use who you are and whatever you have in service to others. To honor the Lord. And there's a perfect story that goes along with that. It's a familiar story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. But it highlights for us what these two fruit of the Spirit are all about. Kindness and goodness, compassion and generosity. I'm in Luke 10, and I'm going to start with verse 25. It said, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, let me stop there a moment. An expert in the law. Uh, we're not talking the law like we would think of the law. Speed limits and laws about uh, what's a crime and what's not. He's a religious lawyer. He is someone who spent, devoted his life to studying Jewish law and interpreting that law. So whenever someone had a question about, well, what does the law say about that? They could go to this expert in the law, and he could say, let me tell you. Let me help you understand the meaning of that. And these people looked down on Jesus because, first of all, they didn't think Jesus kept the law very well. He tended to stretch the limits of it. He tended to go outside the box in his behavior with people. And they didn't like it. They wanted everything to be very set. The law says this, you do this. And Jesus said, well, the law says this, but God wants us to do this. And so he comes to Jesus basically trying to test him, uh, trying to get him to uh, mess up, to say something wrong so they can then use that against him. 
Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He knows how wise Jesus is. He knows what this guy's about. He knows what he's trying to do. So as soon as he asked him a question, Jesus knew that he thought he already knew the answer to that question. He didn't ask Jesus to find out. He asked Jesus to see what he would say. And Jesus turns it right back on him and said, well, what does the law say? You're the expert. <laughs> he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Textbook. That's exactly what the Jewish law says a person had to do. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. <laughs> so he basically said, yeah, you got it. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He, he, he wasn't going to let Jesus off the hook that easy. Who is my neighbor? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Who's your neighbor? Well, my neighbor is the person that lives over here and lives over here and lives over there and maybe back there. My neighbor may be those people who live within a certain radius of me, my neighborhood, we call it. Or you could be like Mr. Rogers. Who did Mr. Rogers' neighborhood include? Everybody. When you watched his television show, you felt like you were his neighbor. And I'm not sure I think he got that from Jesus. Now, the Jewish legal expert had a fairly narrow and well-defined definition of neighbor. It only included people like us, people who were of the Jewish faith, people who were born Jewish, people who are the chosen ones of God, and everyone else is outside of our neighborhood. But Jesus wanted to challenge that thought, and he did it by telling a story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho descended from 2,300 feet above sea level to 800 feet below sea level. It's a very steep road. It was a very windy road. It was a somewhat treacherous road. It's not a road you would want to walk in the dark. And it was also a great place for those who wanted to do someone harm. There weren't a lot of people on the road. There might be one or two people, and there might, you know, it might go half hour and nobody. And so it was the perfect place if you wanted to rob somebody to be. 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, it's, it's not a coincidence that Jesus happened to pick the first two people to come along to be a priest and a Levi. Remember, he's talking to an expert in the Jewish law. These would be people who were his colleagues. These would be people he knew well and worked with. They served in the temple. He spent his time in the temple as well. And I'm sure he would have wanted to defend their action. I mean, after all, a priest and a Levite, they serve in the temple. And according to Jewish law, if you touched a dead body, you disqualified yourself from temple service for a certain period of time. If you came into contact with the blood of, of another person, you disqualified yourself from service in the temple for a certain period of time. So I'm sure the Jewish legal expert would say, now wait a minute, let's not judge these men too harshly because they didn't stop and help that man. He was obviously bleeding, and as far as they knew, he might have been dead. And would you have them sacrifice their service to God in the temple to help this man? Service to God always comes ahead of service to man. Pretty good argument. Unless you're talking to Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus, as he finishes this story, is going to make sure we understand you can't separate service to God and service to man. You can't serve God unless you serve his people. And when you ignore our service to one another, you dishonor the very God that they were going to the temple to serve. So in other words, he said, your religion can never be an excuse for not serving others. Suppose you were coming to church this morning and, and you're, oh boy, we're, we're running pretty tight, but I think we can make it if we don't have any delays. And about that time, you look over, and on the sidewalk, there's a bicycle laying there with the front tire kind of all mangled up. And there's somebody laying there by the bike, clutching their leg, and an and obvious pain, and you see some blood there. Boy, you know, I, I would help that guy, but we're, we're not going to make it. And I don't want to miss a minute of Roger's sermon. I, 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 just, I just feel like I, I need to get to church more than I need. Somebody else, so there's lots of heathens in this town that don't, that don't go to church, and I'm sure one of them can stop and help the guy. <laughs> Is God going to be pleased that you did that? Am I going to be pleased that you did that? No. There's no sermon I could ever preach that it would be more important for you to hear it than to help somebody in need. 
Now, I know what's going to happen. Next week, a bunch of you are going to be late. And they're going, oh, a dude on a bike. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I had to stop and help. You told me to. So there aren't that many bicycle accidents in Elwood on Sunday morning. So you can't get away with that. But I mean, I think you get the point that Jesus is saying, look, I understand these were religious people and they had religious duties. But God would have been far more honored had they helped this man, then that they came on and did their service in the temple. And to really drive that point home, he makes the next person that comes by the most unlikely person he could mention, a Samaritan. Jews didn't like Samaritans. Jews held Samaritans in contempt because they, they compromised the law I mean, here we're talking to a Jewish legal expert. He hates Samaritans <laughs> because they don't stick to the law. They compromise the law. They intermarried with people who weren't Jewish, which is a violation of the law. They don't worship in the temple. They worship somewhere else, which is a violation of the law. So if you were going to impress this man, the last person you'd want to mention is a Samaritan. But that's exactly where Jesus goes with this story. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Three people encountered the injured man. A priest, a Levi, and a Samaritan. The first two noticed him. The last one saw him. Don't, don't miss that difference. Two of them noticed him. Only one of them saw him. Don't we do that all the time? Boy, I tell you, I could be watching TV or checking news on the internet, and uh, there's a bunch of flooding going on in southwestern Japan. I don't know if you've heard about that. Torrential rains. Uh, several people have died from the flooding. It's just a terrible situation. And I read that, I read that little article about that. And then I came across the, the soccer team in Thailand, the, the young boys, that I, I think as we've been worshiping today are being rescued. They had several of them out. Uh, they what? Four are out. They're having to swim them out. Uh, very dangerous. But I, I, I read those articles, and then, you know, something happened around me, and I, okay, I'll set this off. Within five minutes, it was out of my mind. Flooding in Japan, children trapped in Thailand. I noticed those things. I didn't see them. I didn't see them. And it wasn't until a little later that I thought, you know, at the very least, i got to pray about those things, those situations. But if we're not careful, we go through life just noticing people in need, people who are hurting. They're all around us. We notice them. But, well, I don't know what I can do about it. I don't really have time to deal with it. I'd probably just make situation worse. I mean, we come up with all kinds of excuses why we notice but don't see. The priest and the Levite noticed. 
But the Samaritan saw, and when he saw it, said he took pity on him. This is where his compassion comes in and where his generosity is going to show. Um, don't confuse compassion and sympathy. Sympathy is hearing about something uh, and then feeling bad about it, feeling sorry for the people, but then going on with life. Sympathy is kind of for the moment and moves on. Compassion says, I see them. I feel bad for the suffering they're going through. What can I do about it? See, compassion takes that next step, the action step. What can I do about it? What can I do to change this situation for the better for this person? And so here's what the Samaritan did. He, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. This is compassion in action. This is generosity in action. Think about the sacrifices this man had to make. I don't think he saw the injured man and said, let me get my first aid kit off my donkey. Now, when it says he bandaged his wounds, he's ripping up parts of his clothes to make bandages. He puts him on his donkey, which means he was going to walk the rest of the way. And then when he gets him to the end, he pulls out his money and pays for the man a room. Why didn't he use the man's money? He'd been robbed. He didn't have any. <laughs> so that makes the point that compassion makes sacrifices. You're willing to inconvenience yourself for the sake of another. You're willing to go that extra mile. You're willing to be generous in your care for someone else. And I know that's hard. That's not our natural reaction. Quite often we say, you know, I just don't want to get into that situation. It's, it's probably going to end up being a lot more than I thought. Uh, you know, People's lives are messy, and we don't want to get in the mess of their lives. we got enough mess of our own, don't we? And so it's very easy just to, to be sympathetic <laughs> and move on when we encounter people uh, in need. But Jesus is making the point through the Samaritan that we can't do that if we're going to call ourselves Christian. The man went out of his way to help this man. And then we see his generosity really kick in. It says, the next day he took out two silver coins, which, which happens to be a lot of money in those days. We're not talking, you know, 10 bucks here. He takes out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. 
he basically wrote a blank check to the innkeeper. I don't know how many days he needs to be here in, in your inn. I don't know how much personal care you're going to have to give him. You've got to change those bandages. You know, you've got to make sure he gets fed. He said, I don't care what the cost is. Take care of him. And when I pass this way again, I'll make it right with you. You keep a, you keep a tab of your expenses caring for this man. See, he wasn't passing it on. Wouldn't it have been easy to say to the innkeeper, well, you know, come on, I, I, did, I did a lot here. I bandaged him. I brought him here. I got him a room for the night. Can you give a little now? <laughs> Can you, like, give him a place for a while? He didn't, he didn't try to pass his, his sense of compassion on to the innkeeper and get him to take on the burden. No, he said, this is mine. From beginning to end, this is mine. And he took care of him. He was willing to go the extra mile to help the man in need. And it's clear what Jesus wants us to do. And then after telling the story, he turns it back onto the legal expert. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? It's a pretty obvious question, isn't it? But he wants the man to say it. He wants the man to understand what he's talking about. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He noticed he couldn't bring himself to say Samaritan. He didn't say, well, it was the Samaritan who was the man's neighbor. It was the one. That's the best he could do. The one who had mercy on him. At least he got the point. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know what's always kind of bothered me about this story is they don't give the man a name. Don't you think the Samaritan deserves a name? I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about his acts of compassion, and we don't even know his name. In fact, when people do good deeds for others, they're often referred to as they were being a good Samaritan. I mean, we have carried that on, but we don't know his name. But then I thought about that, and why don't we know his name? I think Jesus was intentional here. He didn't give the Samaritan a name because he wants you to identify with the Samaritan. The Samaritan has a name. It's Joe. It's Mike. It's Jeremy. It's Roger. When we read about the acts of compassion and love of the Good Samaritan, he wants you to put yourself into that story. And so he doesn't give him a name because the name is yours. It's not just a great story. It's not just something for us to applaud the Good Samaritan and say, wow, that was great. It's not for us to look at that and say that was an extraordinary act of kindness that will seldom be repeated. Because if Jesus has his way, it will be repeated every single day. If we allow the Holy Spirit 
to work in us to grow the fruit of kindness and goodness, compassion, and generosity. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this story that has stood the test of time. From the time I was a child, I've heard about the Good Samaritan. But I ask your forgiveness because from the time I was a child, I haven't been a Good Samaritan. I can't count how many times I only noticed people in need, but didn't see them, didn't respond to them, didn't act with compassion and generosity to care for them. I just simply went on with my life. Forgive us, Father, for those times. And I pray that as we move forward, we will allow you to develop in us this fruit, this goodness, this kindness, this compassion, this generosity, so that we might honor you by caring for others. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us gather